seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 159 of Color of Magic, a magic and gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, and for 159 episodes, I still have my main man, Brian Allen, down in Texas. How are you doing, dude? I'm uh, tr- trying to survive numerous recalls because apparently pine. there's something wrong with Pine Saw, and you know. <laughs> you, you, if you've seen any of the Adam Denver After Cleaner videos, you know we, we wait, pine wait, wait, wait. everywhere. How how do you get a recall on a cleaner? Like the cleaner's messed up? Yeah, they're saying there's some kind of harmful bacteria in pine salt. So yeah, if you got pine salt, go check the number, I guess, on that it. That stuff has to be stronger than Ebola if it lives in pine salt. Right? <laughs> like, what the hell? Seriously? Yeah. Damn. Then okay. uh, one of my medications has a recall oh, on that it. Sucks. Okay. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, that's a real problem. Side effects include side effects. <laughs> Dude, speaking of, does it does it bother anybody else that when you watch those commercials and it's like, we're gonna give you this thing to help with like I don't know herpes or whatever, and it's and they always show the people like magically you live like this awful life, but like if you get this medicine. You're going to get to go like perfect dive into the swimming pool and sit in a bathtub on in the middle of a pasture while the sun goes down or whatever. Right. It's like these the side effects include. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gives you the side effects that they're rambling through that, like, you know, might include, you know, pain, bruising, blah, blah, you know, rectal bleeding and sometimes yeah. death. And and they say it in the most, like, pleasant voice. Just like, and sometimes death. And I'm like, no, you know what? I'll keep the herpes. Like, like, risking death, internal bleeding. Like, what? How is this legal? One of them said uh, gambling. Side effects include gambling. That's bull. Somebody lost their house. And when they tried to come up with how they were going to explain that to their wife. Is that? (laughs) How does that even work? you, you You took the Viagra pill, and then you're like, Man, I gotta go get me a new pair of shoes. Come right. on, like I mean, like really cool. yeah, like what's what's even going on? Like I'm just very skeptical about the gambling side of it. I just don't think we need to have those commercials on TV at all to begin with. To be honest, I have I have to imagine that makes doctors' lives terrible. That people I, mean, I, I understand, like, you know, that there are some medications that okay, this does cure a thing, and yeah, it usually cures a thing by doing something else to you. You know, I, yeah, I get yeah. that. But I don't know, man. If it's risking anything major, like I, it should be. You should got to put percentages on the screen when you say those. Something, yeah. Right. If it's like, all right, this thing that I don't know, maybe restlessness or whatever. It's like thirty percent of the people got that. All right, cool. You know, maybe it's sore muscles. All right, then like fifteen percent of people got that. And then if you tell me like, or sometimes death, and it's like point one percent, I'm like, all right, I might gamble. But yeah. if if sometimes death is like. 30%. 2%, even 2%. I might be like, nah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm itchy. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll keep my psoriasis or whatever. You know, yeah. like, I don't, whatever that is. Oh, man, we are way off. But, but y'all know, like, those are relatable, yeah. though, man. Like, we've all seen those commercials. And I don't, and honestly, I don't think they have those in other countries. 
And if anybody is listening from another country, please let us know if y'all get those commercials. Because I know we do have people overseas. Yeah, I think it's a very American thing to like overly advertise the pharmaceutical stuff. But partly because... Yeah, because, you know, we are healthcare. I I forgot that so many places have actual, you know, free healthcare where there's no need to just sell you on this stuff like if somebody running a timeshare. Yeah, it's terrible too. Like, we even help pay like publicly fund some of the research mm-hmm. for these things. And then they come back and charge you like 10 times what it costs. That's like, ah, we're terrible in America. Yeah. All right. Before we get into the show and we give you actual gaming news, <laughs> we got to tell you, check out the show sponsor cardsphere.com. Great place to buy and sell magic cards. Literally go and name your price for what you want to buy or sell something for. And you can do it. And it's actually a pretty cool system. It's very different than a lot of places. Matter of fact, I have a bunch of stuff that's going to go out, well, probably today, by the time you're listening to the show. Because I got to get that out the door before I get to head down to Vegas. So, yeah, using Cardsphere to just put a little extra money away, which is kind of nice. But, yeah, check them out. They are big fans of the show, big supporters over at Cardsphere.com. And if you want to support the show directly, you can go over to Patreon.com slash Color of Magic. And you can be just like one of the cooler names we've had. Dr. Unks. Right. And you know, and the thing is, it's like, you know, if you in black community, we call a lot of older people just unk. You know, like yeah. if you're if you're a wise older dude, we just refer to you as unk. Like, like if you watch a lot of black folks that watch Undisputed with Shannon Sharp on there, he gets referred to as unk a lot in the comments. Right. Like, and I'm gonna tell you, the first time it happens to you, it's gonna throw you off. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've already been called unk before. I'm like, yeah, that's a, yeah, crossed over. Uh, <laughs> at a backdoor comedy club, one of the other comedians was bringing me up, and they said, "This comedian here is like my uncle." I'm looking around, like, "Oh, I thought he was next." He looked at somebody else. Like, I look, nope. I look around the club and be like, "Oh crap, I am among the older people here." <laughs> yep, you're it. You're unk now. Yeah, but Doctor Unk means you got some credentials, right? <laughs> So, yeah, thank you for coming on board and being a supporter. Also, for those of you that were waiting on the rewards to be mailed from the winners this month, uh, postcards for new patrons, all that, I was behind because of some other personal projects. I got all those bagged up. They went into the mail a couple days ago, so you should be seeing those. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, if not, they'll be showing up over the weekend. And you can always go over to colorofmtg.com slash shop, and you can get some playmats and tokens to rep the show and get some cool things to take around with you. Now we got some business to take care of. And, you know, I want to start out like, okay, this is like a real soapboxy thing for me, a very personal, bothersome thing that we kind of see it in waves. And we've been in a pretty positive wave for a minute, but we're starting to see like the negative wave pop. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's all the politics in the news or whatever is getting people riled up. But seeing a lot of people basically branding themselves on negativity you know a lot especially content creators or whatever people trying to make a go of it and i get it man like like short term you're gonna get a lot of people that want to commiserate with you because they don't like something that's going on or whatever but these people push it so hard that they kind of i don't know they start getting high on their own supply you know, that they, they, they start buying it a little too much. And then they just get so full of themselves. It's like, you're just rambling and saying things that don't even matter. You know, like, I don't like this product from Wizards. 
nobody should buy magic ever again. We should all proxy everything. Like that that's really that's the stance you're gonna take. Like, come on now. But even beyond that, like if you just see them like every single thing, you know, it's it's the color of this thing is terrible, which is basically like Obama's tan suit, you know, like it it whatever. And at some point, like I said, I get it. You're you're trying to get your name out there and you know that's like the easy, low-hanging fruit, whatever. But at some point, that's where you start suffering from burnout. That's why you start getting all these negative people around you and all the negative comments. And you gotta, it's it's work like anything else. You gotta cultivate your communities and your audiences and whatever. And if that's what you base your brand on, you're also going to have a harder time making money. Like you might have all these followers and whatever, but hell go see what happened to Kanye this week. You know, like you think you Kanye's got way more money than you. He's got way more influence than you. And even his people went, nah, we're good. And like everybody left like his, his agent, his recording studio, Adidas, Hell, the movie studio working on a biopic behind the scenes that a bunch of people didn't know about. They were like, yeah, we're just canceling this and pulling funding. Like he had like 10 different organizations just step away in the last like four or five days. So like it eventually comes to roost. You keep it up enough. (laughs) Eventually it's not going to get there. And a lot of stuff we've seen, even from people who started out negatively, even they're figuring out that like you got to turn. We we talked about it pre-show, you know, somebody like Logan Paul. Right. Like he was a guy that at one point, I ain't going to lie, I, I kind of halfway eye rolled when I saw some of his stuff in the past. But even he has kind of matured up and went, you know, maybe I should be doing some stuff for mental health. Maybe I should be donating some things. Maybe I should be talking this stuff up. You know, now his brother's still kind of a loose cannon. So that's whatever's whatever. But, you know, like, I will say, though, the difference is because he's been doing that. He's also gotten bigger guests and more people on his like podcast, right? He's gotten invited to show up and hang out and be part of the WWE family, you know, just like all kinds of things that wouldn't necessarily happen if he kept that whole negative slant on things. And honestly, like I see a lot of those people who just get upset that, well, I have all these people and I don't understand how I can't get brand deals or oh, this is so frustrating and I'm so burnt out and whatever. And I was like, normally you see the people that are more positive and have a bunch of good stuff going on. Like they don't seem to get burnt out as fast and they seem to get a lot of brand deals. Like that's not coincidence. Like if you, you breed negativity, that's what you're going to get out of it. Right. That's just the way it is. So, you know, like be negative. You want to be negative. And don't get me wrong. Like we talked about this on Twitter too. Like there is a such thing as, toxic positivity i'm not saying you should only be positive i'm not saying you should never criticize something but like when it's warranted sure and even do it in a constructive way where you have some different tips or strategies or suggestions to put alongside it like and show your expertise that'll stand out way more to people other than this just being the like 15th voice in the echo chamber complaining about something but you know, we all make our own choices. So it is what it is. Yeah. And I would say, you know, journalism is hard. Not everybody can practice it. (laughs) Some people are just really good at yelling. That is true. That is true. There's been some comedians that have made their whole careers out of it. Yeah. You know, so I, 
I so get some it. of these people, I mean, probably would be given the choice, would rather be, you know, like a like an IGN or somebody, you know, the, the G4 back in the heyday where they actually can dig into why this game is bad. But if you don't actually have the journalty chops to do so, sometimes you end up, you know, yelling everything's terrible. Yeah. And and then in a way you're kind of doubling down, right? Because it's okay, now I, I'm failing at this thing because I'm not great at it. So I'm going to do the easiest possible thing and get a bunch of eyes on me by being negative. But you still haven't solved the initial problem <laughs> of what you're going to do once all these negative Nancys or negative Neds are hanging out with you. Like, what do you do with them? Other than just continue to be negative and feed the trolls because you've not cultivated the skill that's going to be able to turn that into anything. Like it, all the people that are making it, we're in the trenches. Some we're all learning together. We're all researching. We're all doing our things. But those are the ones that get ahead. All right, Brian. Let's see what you got. All right. Uh, the the Rooster Teeth Network, as you may have heard, has been called out for just a, a horribly toxic working environment, frat boy culture, toxic working conditions. Uh, <laughs> One one former employee did was just basically a twit longer that you can find. If you search rooster teeth, it's going to be one of the first things that comes up. I wanted to dissect the whole thing, but among some of the things that she complains about is that uh, she was forced to do 16-hour work days for barely 40000 a year. She was referred to as in multiple uh, you know, homophobic slurs. Some would they they apparently shortened it, shortened it to something that they felt like they could say on camera and referred to her as that for years apparently, hmm. and only after she called about on it and came out as transgender they say okay you know well we actually probably should stop uh, dropping the f bomb on her just for and, uh, one of the people involved in this and accused Gavin Free has admitted yeah. They were calling her offensive nicknames and said that they should, you know, that, that, that basically his quote is, I wasn't funny. I failed you and I continue to be sorry. But yeah, he, the, he, he did the damage, <laughs> ruined this person's kind of not just their, you know, not just their day to day work environment. But I mean, just, you know, when, when you hate your job, especially if it's something like in the video game industry where you, this is something you supposed to be fun. Is where so many of us dream about being able to make a living somewhere in the entertainment, in the gaming industry, and it, it, these people really ruined it for her. And I'm sure, and I, I'm sure it wasn't just her. We were hearing other other people speak out now, especially about the, the work days and the, just the, the frat boy culture. We're looking like a very uh, Activision Blizzard all over again. Oh, by the way, a company that that doesn't need any more bad publicity. Rooster Teeth is now a subsidiary of Warner Brothers Discovery. They're out there crushing it right now. <laughs> just every day, it's some other fire that Warner Brothers Discovery has to attempt to put out. It's yeah, but you know what? Too, we've been talking about. It. They're also cutting people loose too. Yeah, so they they gotta watch themselves because if they, they look they and just, just decide, like, man, these lawsuits from y'all are just gonna be too expensive. Y'all yeah. gotta go. <laughs> you know, like that's a thing that could easily happen right now. They're they're checking all the they are counting all the beans, checking all the hey, what's gonna be somebody uh somebody I think off the record said you know that if the new president could just turn every show on there into Chip and Joanna Gaines, he'd do it because that's I guess that's their biggest ratio of 
profit to, you know, and they're not really spending that much. It's just whatever it costs to tear somebody's house down or rebuild it. Yeah, and they're probably to, already doing that as part of the project. So it's probably right? just paying paying the talent more than anything else. Yeah, that's that's interesting because Rooster Teeth isn't a small company either. Not at really. all. I mean, and for those of them, they do stuff. If I remember right, they have like red versus blue. Yeah, that was the thing that really got them on the map. Uh, I think blue. the Ruby series of stuff, RWBY, is also theirs. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they, they've got a few other big titles and things underneath them. So they, you, you probably know of their stuff and may not even know them as a company. Yeah, but yeah, it, it can happen, man. It, it's it's tough. I mean, we see it all over and pretty much every level of business so it, you know people say oh you know the gaming industry is different or this is that like no there's still companies with still humans that work there and dumb things happen that's right. just the way it is and sadly in the gaming industry because it is so male <laughs> so straight and often so white there have been just the, the these horrible pockets of yeah frat boy culture people dropping Dropping, uh, you know, homosexual slurs and not even uh, feeling bad about doing so. It just. Well, I I just hope they resolve it at least quickly, whatever's going to happen, because we don't need these types of stories just floating around for extended periods of time. Like, let's deal with it. Be swift about it. Show people that them coming forward makes a difference and people give a damn and then just not let it happen again. But all right, it's that time of the week, Brian. There's some interesting things we learned this week, so uh, why don't you share what you've learned this past week? All right, there's uh, for any of you that are into history or you know coin collecting or some combination thereof. There's a new program called the American Women Quarters Program, and they're going to be breaking out some new currency that is going to commemorate some of the greatest women in American history. For example, in 2022, we're going to get quarters featuring uh, Maya Angelou, the famous writer and activist, uh, Dr. Sally Ride, first American woman in space. So this is, this is exciting. I, I've seen a couple of them. They really look outstanding. And this is just something because, you know, we talked about this before we started the show. These are, this is the kind of history that we often don't learn about in our classrooms, which is just extremely unfortunate. But yeah, this is something that's I am really excited about looking for, and this is gonna. It's a four-year program, so they've revealed some of the ones coming out in 2023. Uh, Bessie Coleman, who was a uh, one of the first uh, African American female pilots, Eleanor Roosevelt, Maria Tall Chief, who was the first uh, prima ballerina in America. This is this is awesome. I'm excited to see. Excited to to get some. And I'm not somebody that you know that collects a whole bunch of coins, but I want to collect these. For me, one of the things that's still I don't know if it's surprising as much as it's disappointing to see that we cover so few of these women doing these major things, especially women of color. Right. That uh, the the NASA movie that came out uh, a couple years back. Hidden Figures. Yep. Yeah. Where I ran into people that were still questioning, like, how authentic that story was. Or was it something they just made up for Hollywood or whatever? And I'm like, no, these are based on real women. Like, this is a thing that actually happened. Yeah. You know, and they were kind of just stunned. And I was like, yeah, the fact that they couldn't even be in certain parts of the building or work with certain people or whatever because of culture and politics or whatever at the time. But like, they were still smart enough, the only ones that were able to help make sure that this mission got off without a hitch. Yeah. You know, but they couldn't even really be celebrated the way they deserved to. So it's kind of cool that 
we're getting efforts like this down the road to pay attention to people that may have been overlooked or just draw attention in the first place to some of them where people don't even know they exist. So that's pretty neat. I'm all for it. Mine is a little uh, less culturally significant by a little. I mean, a lot less culturally <laughs> significant, but it was something interesting. I started looking at this past week, you know, because I spent a lot of time helping people build content and talk about their their social media and YouTube and stuff like that. And there's a belief that you can just go out when you start. I'm going to spend a bunch of money. I'm going to buy a bunch of views and that's going to jumpstart my my YouTube channel or whatever. Truthfully, that's actually one of the worst things you can do. There's a whole lot of reasons for it, but basically it screws up your reach with YouTube and it becomes a big problem. But there's other stuff. If you want to talk about it, shoot me a DM. I, I do paid consultations. But the interesting thing is Wizards started their Magic the Gathering Arena channel about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago. And they're already at three and a half thousand, so or close to it. And they're so they're already monetized, you know, getting views or whatever. And their approach, I think, was the smart way to do it. it. Obviously, they have funding and they have reach, right? But it also shows that just because they have this billion-dollar company, they didn't magically race to 100,000 subscribers, right? A lot of people still don't know their YouTube channel exists. So it still has to do the normal reach. Your videos have to get shared. But they're accelerating that by working with content creators. You know, and I've done a video on there. I did one about four weeks ago. And you know, combining it with our reach to get people to their channel, getting high quality content from people that have already proven themselves. And it's actually kind of a winning strategy. I would not be surprised by this time next year if they eclipse maybe even 15 or 20,000 subscribers, you know, getting a bunch of views, if they continue on this path of getting better and better content, getting better reach and taking care of the creators that are helping them produce stuff. Now it's going to be expensive in the beginning, but the payoff has potential to be very big. And it was just kind of interesting to see how a company like Wizards approaches it as a brand new project versus somebody with no money, you know, building up their channel and doing what they have to do. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I, it, it's kind of going to be one of those things I follow on the side, almost as like a case study sort of thing, because it's not often you kind of see the ground floor efforts of a big company building a YouTube channel coming up out of nowhere. It's kind of like a rare thing. So yeah, just something to keep an eye out. But if you didn't know, there you go. You can go over to, you can use, actually look up Magic the Gathering Arena channel and it'll take you to the actual channel page or you can search Magic the Gathering Arena and in your drop downs, just filter by channel and it'll be the top thing. And you'll see a bunch of videos from popular creators on different things. Some are on draft, some are on standard, some are on, I think the couple of most recent ones are talking about the upcoming world championship, stuff like that. So it's actually pretty sweet. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But now let's get into the news of the week. So, yeah, Brian, I don't know if you heard, but there was a secret layer that's about to launch in five days. And I think we touched on it three episodes ago. I believe, yeah, I believe so. But it's the 30th anniversary countdown kit. And what it is basically and. To Wizards' credit, they're not calling it this, so it's probably not attached to a holiday and, you know, good business, blah, blah. But it's basically an advent calendar, right? It's 30 days. It's one card from every year. All of them have some type of unique artwork, which is kind of cool because it feels like some of the artwork is reminiscent of the styles we saw throughout the last couple of years of Secret Layers. 
So there's like one that's done up like a metal band thing. There's one that's done up like a movie poster. You know, there's just one that's done like a chibi looking bolus, I think. So like a bunch of different ones. But the cool part about this is, I, I think in the first part, you look at it and go, ah, man, $150, right? It's $149.99. That's not the cheapest thing, obviously. But at the same time, once you start looking at the list of stuff that's included, it's actually not that bad. I believe the final total, depending on what site you use, are between like $230 and $250 worth of stuff for the $150. So even if prices were to drop slightly on everything, you'd still be okay on your money. But we've also seen that secret layers tend not only to hold their value, but go up over time as well, because they're pretty much a one-time printing of that version of the card. And there's some pretty powerful stuff in there. When you're talking about like Necropotence, uh, I think there's Bloodbraid Elves, Chrome Mox, which is a big one in there. I think Chrome Moxes go for like 70 or 80 bucks right now. So they put real cards in there. Like it's actually pretty exciting to see this type of product. Now the downside is far as we can tell, they're going to be somewhat limited and it's going to be a small order window. But we talked about it before, right? If you're going to have it be an advent calendar to come out or reach people near the beginning of December so they can use it appropriately and have fun with it, you're going to have to ship it as quick as possible. So I would not be surprised if it actually launches. Let's see, what's the... It looks like, okay, in five days, it'll go live. So you're talking about basically the first of the month. And it says release date is November 7th. So basically, if that's the whole thing, you're going to talk about like six days that you're going to have to order it. And if you miss, you miss. Would not be surprised, because I believe they mentioned it's also limited. They didn't say what the number was. But my guess is they probably printed a lot, but had to cap it. Because at some point, again, if you're going to be efficient on shipping, you can't wait, get your orders, print them, get the prints in, package them, ship them out to people. It's just not, there's just not a way to do it that way. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Do you, how do you feel about this type of product? Because, like, it's not normal secret layers or, you know three to five or three to six cards or something. This is a full 30 cards for 150 bucks, but they did put high value stuff in it. Yeah, this is a, this is a different thing. I mean, I think if, if we learned that these things seem like they sell, you know, just as much as people often complain about the price, they, they have yet to have one that doesn't move. So, yeah, I think that's the other part of it too. You know, I, I, I feel like we still have part of the community that anything that just says secret layer, like this could be the same product. And Wizard just says, okay, we're going to make a special 30th anniversary holiday product. I bet a lot less people would have said anything. But because it says secret layer, they're like, ah, I don't, why, why would I order this? And this is Wizards just trying to kill stores and blah, blah, you know, the, all the rhetoric that comes with it. But what we've seen is these are popular. They do sell. They're good collectible products. And I was just doing a stream the other day where I told people, so far for my money, if people didn't know what else to invest in magic-wise or they don't have large budgets, the two things that are probably safest right now are secret layers and commander products. Anything else, there are opportunities, but I think you have to be more knowledgeable. I think those are still, for me, like the closest to no-brainers. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm going to, you know, I don't know if I'm going to wake up early and keep refreshing my phone or whatever. But because uh, I believe that's the day I'm coming back from Vegas. Oh, okay. no, no, that's on Tuesday. So it'll be the day after I get back. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'll set my alarm and try to get it. I don't know. But I'm interested. I'm interested. Maybe that's how a lot of people get it is, hey, a bunch of people are coming back from Vegas. And they won't be able to refresh their phones. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, right? the market. 
I, I for sure want one. I mean, the problem is it's just it is a big ticket. I don't know how many I could buy at that price. You know, I'm probably just one, maybe two. If I have a good gambling time in Vegas, uh, three, you know, I don't know. I'm probably not even going to gamble that much while I'm down. I actually don't, you know, side note, I really don't gamble much when I'm in Vegas. That's probably the worst place to gamble because you got to figure they're better at uh, getting their hand into your yeah. wallet than anybody you would think. I think I, I go out and eat. I go watch shows. I walk the strip. I hang out with buddies. I'll play poker. And if I have downtime, I will play some blackjack. But if I ever play slots or anything, it's literally because like, I'm at a thing waiting for the show to start and we have like 15 minutes, you know, like, let me take $10 and put in these like nickel slots and just see what happens. You know, that's about my extent of it. I don't really gamble. I don't play roulette. I don't, I don't, I just don't have a desire for it. Like, I, I think my problem is it's hard for me to put money down on a thing where I have no agency over the outcome. I, I kind of feel the same way. I think that I think that's why I'm willing to play poker and why I'm willing to play blackjack. Because yeah. like I'm actively making decisions with some knowledge attached to it to help my odds. But the other games, it's just kind of like what happens, happens. You know, okay, this is this is a real side note that blew me away the first time first time I was in Vegas. So this is fun story. I probably should just save this for the patrons, but whatever. I remember going in. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of getting my bearings and I'm walking around this casino. And I stop because I'm watching people at the roulette table and I don't understand what's going on because I see people writing down stuff and I see this board. And, you know, because, you know, at this point, I, to me, roulette was just you bet on the, the squares and they spin the wheel and then wherever it lands, people get paid or they lose their money. Right. Well, what I realize is somebody at some point in Vegas came up with the most brilliant thing that has probably made each of these casinos like an extra $50,000 or more a day. But they have a, a tracking board above the roulette tables. It shows you, I think it's the last 20 results Oh wow! that the wheels have spun. And then they also sell these little uh, booklets so you can track the results at the roulette table. Yeah. Now in all reality, the only way those matter is if your wheel is not balanced, right? Yeah. Like it tilts more to one side or the other and, and it increases the odds of that other thing happening. But if they see that, then they obviously come out and they replace the wheel and the ball and whatever because yeah. they're casinos and that's what they do. So assuming everything is is correct, those results are meaningless. Yep. Like somebody looks and I even saw somebody tell me like, oh, you don't want to bet on that. It's been black, you know, 12 of the last 13 spins or whatever. It's you know, And I'm like, these people don't understand that like it's lit. Every single role is literally independent of the last one. Like it could, there's no relevance to any of this, but they're making so much money because people are betting thinking they are outsmarting the odds somehow. Yeah. But it's just like, if we just flip the coin 10 times in a row and it happened to come up heads 10 times, the next time is still 50, 50, assuming we're doing everything fairly. Right. But there are people that go, no, it's gotta be tails next time. Not really. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that says it has to be. There's, there, there, there's probably an actual number, but it ain't, you know, next time. There's probably out of every. Well, yeah, thing, yeah. But you would have to. It, it, it ain't, like you said, it's still 50 50 odds in theory each time. Yeah, it's crazy to just see people. And, but, dude, and they were making like increased large bets yeah. based on these outcomes. And I'm like, 
this is the most amazing thing. So I just had like a people watching moment of the psychology of gambling of just like what you can convince people of. And I was just like, wow. And, and honestly, I could even see where at one point one of the pit bosses came over and just like chit chatting with me because I think he was just wondering what I was doing because I wasn't betting. And I'm kind of like looking up at the the board and whatever. And he even gave me a nod of like, yeah, like you get it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he knew. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm just hanging out or whatever. And I'm staring at the board and he just goes, yeah. And I was like, see, they know. Like, I just thought it was funny, though. But yeah, anyway, back to what we're talking about. Secret layers. Uh, this one in particular, I think, is actually a good deal. If you like the idea of an advent calendar, it's a fun bonus thing to do for yourself at the holidays or whatever. But if not, just to get it and keep it. I'm, And that's the whole reason, too. I, I kind of want one to open and have, like, cool commander pieces. But at the same time, they're probably just going to be worth a bunch sealed a year from now or whatever. So probably not going to open it. But it's kind of cool. If you want one, set your alarms because they may be pretty hard to get based on things. But who the heck knows? Hey, Brian, remember how we talked about that whole Disney Lorcana game that's supposed to be coming soon from Ravensburger? I do. Uh, have you seen the prices on some of these damn things? Yeah, it's gotten out of hand. And that's, you know, that's what Disney can bring to you. Because, I mean, some, some property that nobody's ever heard of that probably doesn't pop off like this. Unless the, unless the artwork on the cards is just incredible or something. Yeah, and this is kind of what I was hinting at in the beginning. Now, admittedly, I did not think that these early cards would be worth this damn much money. Now, for y'all that want to know, like the cheapest version of the Mickey Mouse card I found. And by the way, these were six cards as a convention exclusive that were $49.99 at what they call D23, I think it was. The Mickey Mouse card alone goes for $240. That's the cheapest one I found on eBay that finished in the last like uh, 10 days or something. There's others that have sold for as much as 800 and the sealed set, I think the cheapest one I saw was around 6000 And I think these are cards that are going to be reprinted in the set. I don't know if they're going to have the same artwork necessarily. but Yeah, but I, I think this tells people, like, this is how far Disney collectors will go. You know, and I, and I don't think people understood that when it was announced. Like, none of this is, like... Disney's not really going to be competing with Magic or even competing with Hearthstone or Pokemon or whatever, right? They have their own market and their own fans and whatever, and that's who they're going to cater to because they know those people already. Those people will carry that brand so far. And Disney already likes making collectible stuff or limited time stuff or rare stuff, right? From the vault. (laughs) Yeah, this is a thing they could print maybe three times a year. Maybe do some subsets like like they just did at a convention or buy this movie, get this Lorcana cart, whatever they yep. want to do, right? Buy buy a month of Disney Plus, get this card. Yeah, like there's so many things you could do with this that's going to be huge for them. And even more so if the game does take off and the card is actually useful, right? And, so and I, at this point, I can't imagine the game doesn't take off. It would have to be just incredibly phenomenally bad i think even then the collector's market would probably still carry it yeah it's it's and yeah, this is ravensburger so there's no reason to expect that it will be bad that's exactly it right i i at this point i'm willing to put faith in the company because they have a positive track record to just say all right 
they've backed a company that not only has a history of making good games, they've also made good games with their licenses right. and they've built up that relationship. So they already know how to work with Disney. They know what Disney likes to approve or not or whatever. So it should be fairly smooth sailing on this. And that's what Disney's talked about in the past. You know, for a while, they wanted to have their own video game studio. And, and I mean, they did that for a while. And they realized, you know what? We're far better making movies and cartoons than we are making video games. Let's get out of this industry. And when we want to make a game, we'll go find the people who make video games, or in this case, board games, card games. Yeah. We'll go find those people, work out a license with them, and then just we can continue making cool Disney stuff. Yeah, you can put your two, three, five million dollars toward, I don't know, the next Star Wars TV series, you know, and just get your five percent or whatever plus licensing fees off of them or whatever. Like it's, it's way easier because they've made, for example, some Pirates of the Caribbean games. They've been, you know, really for the most part, meh. Yeah, pedestrian so just, is the yeah. best word. <laughs> so uh, Sea of Thieves was an incredible, you know, pirate-themed game that Rare did. So after Sea of Thieves got out there and got millions of players, Disney shows up and says, hey, Sea of Thieves, would you like to put Captain Jack Sparrow in your pirate game? Or like, yes, please. Where yeah, do we exactly. sign? <laughs> like, we have some pirate stuff you might have heard of before. Yeah. Would you like to use it? Yeah. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like this, this feels like the product is off to a good start. It's checking the boxes among Disney fans. Obviously, going to be good press for Ravensburger. Right. So this this feels like a win for everybody, honestly. Yeah. And it doesn't even feel like it's going to eat up a lot of market. As a matter of fact, it's probably even better for the other card games because it's going to introduce a lot of people to that genre of game who probably wouldn't have played before. Cause you're going to get a lot of parents like, Oh, well my kids collect this and we can play together or whatever. That's cool. Or people who may have heard about card games, but maybe felt intimidated by magic or Pokemon or whatever. Cause there's been plenty before that. And then now you have one with a license you enjoy. I'm, and again, because it's Ravensburger and they know the Disney feel or whatever, it's going to appeal to those people. It's going to probably be at least presented in a way that appeals to that audience. And that could be good. Now, I don't think necessarily next year, but it'll probably take three to four years as those people maybe want to learn the next thing that's out there or they get introduced to stuff through websites or things, talking about things on the same place or whatever, that they start to migrate and start mm-hmm. looking at other games or whatever. Especially somebody who turns out to be really good at this game, wins a couple of tournaments, might go, hey, apparently I'm good at card games, and I had no idea what other card games are there. Oh, yeah, that definitely happens. We've even seen that in Magic, where people come over from Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever, doing well at their major events and going like, this looks like way more fun over there, and the content and stuff is better, so like, let me go do that. you know. And then they've kind of become part of our community or in my case you know you get tired of sinking a thousand bucks or more to something that goes belly up after three or four years obviously not that this will because this is disney but some of the other games that i've played we've discussed like yeah they're hot for a minute but only for a minute you know that that's a good point you bring up right when we're talking about something like this because you know there have been what four different dragon ball z games that die after like four years or something you know there's Hell, even Legend of the Five Rings ran for solid for about 10 years. Yeah. And then fell off, came back with the new system under Fantasy Flight, fell off. You know, we've seen various Star Wars related products. You say Star Wars and Star Trek have had various yeah. games. 
And and the Star Trek wasn't even that long lived. I think that was maybe four years, four or five years. So now, there's still a, people that play it and I think kind of like do their own card and stuff. But yeah, officially, I mean, it only lasted for a couple of years. Well, you know, even Raw Deal was a long run and that yeah. was seven years, yeah. you know, for card games. For anything, you know, not Magic, Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, that's a good long run. Yeah. So it's really, and it really wasn't them that ended it. It was WWE that just decided they didn't want to do it anymore, apparently. No, actually, I can tell you what happened. Behind the scenes, what it was, was they were hitting a period where the, all the licenses for WWE stuff were about to re-up. And the next round of licenses was going up significantly. Oh, okay. Like, my understanding is it was going to be a hell of a lot more oh, than wow. they paid. I didn't get a final number, but it sounded like it was a very large number and or an increase in percentage as well from the sales. So... They were, they were like, hey, we're going to license our stuff, and you're obviously doing well with it. We want a piece of the pie kind of thing. And my understanding is that at that point, Comic Images did not want to pay that fee or didn't think it was going to be profitable for them at that number. So they just opted to let it lapse, which is disappointing. But, yeah. you know, it was a fun, good game. Definitely. But, yeah, I, I think when you're talking about, a pro, you know, like you said, you know, somebody like Disney, who's huge, you know, also, Ravensburger has made a name for themselves in the board game and tabletop industry over the last, I would say, decade, but for sure the last like five years, real heavy. So I don't see them going anywhere, right? These are two companies that now have established themselves within the the industry and the genres they're going into. And the only way I could see this not moving forward is if for some reason you get maybe two years down the road, the initial hype goes away and the game happens to not be good. I don't think that scenario is going to happen, but that's probably the only way I think this thing dies in under five years. Right. But you know, if not, this could be a good long-term for collectible for people, even if the game goes away, because you know, you know, as well as I do, if you people are these hardcore collectors of these like Americana brands, which is what Disney is at this point, are always looking for old stuff, especially like niche market stuff that wasn't necessarily as well known or popular or short lived. That stuff is like, hell, you know, anybody that collects like Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, blah, blah, right. Any of those old weird bottles, lunch boxes, hell, even Disney action figure, little like, uh, what'd you call them? Little gotcha machine things that came out, little keychains. Those, some of those go for hundreds of dollars. Garbage pail kids, man. I wish I had kept any, I had so many of those things. Yeah, and as weird as those things were, those were considered part of Americana in the late 80s, yeah. you know? So, I get it. Yeah, this this is a, a crazy time. But I, I think Lorcana has a chance to be a real sellable product that's got real collectible aspect. Do I think it's going to be, like, a top seller, blah, blah? Like, maybe, but not because people are playing it. It's going to be more of, like, the Pokemon thing where more people are collecting it than playing it. But it still counts as sales for the companies. Yeah, exactly. As long as they're getting know? money, they don't care if you're setting them on fire. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, actually, that would make it more collectible if you destroy a few of them. That's true. I, I But I would not be surprised if we hear about Lorcana topping out sales in the TCG genre for, I don't know, nine months of next year or the following year, possibly. Like, that wouldn't be unheard of. Because, again... Disney's going to have their big marketing machine behind it. And Disney is a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. So, yeah, they can market it however hard they want to. Plus, Ravensburger is going to do whatever. And then 
I guarantee you there will be some number of YouTube channels, podcasts, blah, whatever, talking about because it's going to be a valuable collectible. Exactly. Right. People are going to talk about it. This is kind of one of the things we come back to with magic. One of the things about the reserve list, as much as I hate it and as much as a lot of people hate it, we have to accept that having rare items gives something like Forbes and Kotaku and whatever something to talk about. Right. And it keeps you relevant and new, especially every time somebody, you know, Post Malone goes and buys a half a million dollar Lotus or whatever. That's instantly news for like two weeks. Right. You can't buy that kind of publicity. Yeah. Right. So you kind of have to have those out there. And I think the same thing's going to happen at Lorcana. But speaking of new games, let's talk about one other new one that launched this past week. Now, this one I would ask you if you've heard of, but I don't know how you could ignore it the way it was everywhere. But damn, dude, you play any Marvel Snap yet? Oh, you know I played Marvel Snap. If it's if it's Marvel and if it's a game, I'm going to give it at least a, especially if it's free, I'm going to absolutely give it a shot. I, I got to say, man, like this has been, I, I'm going to, I'm trying to like check myself real quick before I make the statement, but this might be the best free card game on mobile I've played. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I've seen several other people say the exact same thing about it. Like it, it does so much right. Like it's, it has just enough strategy that you could be rewarded for it, but not so much that it's like oppressive to people that are not strategic minded. Right. Right. So that's already really well done. I think people worried it was going to be, you know, Hearthstone, only Marvel. And I think a lot of people were frightened by that prospect, but that's not even close to what it is. I mean, it's, for example, you can get a game done in what, two, three minutes easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like average game for me, I think, is like between right around maybe four minutes. And then a long game, if we're both like taking extra time to think and make our moves, or whatever, is like six minutes. Like, so the games are very quick, are very snappy, if you will. Right. Yeah, I see what you did there. They it also very... is incredibly sad. You know, it obviously is patterned after the most iconic cinematic moment in the past probably 20 years, not just for Marvel, probably, but for many film franchises, Thanos, you know, snapping half of the universe out of existence. Shoot, Thanos became a meme because I've even caught myself going, damn, Thanos was right. Half of y'all need to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real. Like, And uh, like, I guess for people that, that haven't played it yet, basically snapping in this game is like you were, your ranked points, so to speak, are cosmic cubes or what was referred to yeah, in the movies yeah. as the Tesseract. So you can, you know, if you think you really got, if you think you've got the game one, you can snap and say, okay, you know, I'm going to, bid two of these or all the way up to eight is the maximum you can do so hey you know you yeah i think i think like if you hit it first it's two but then like they can hit it back and double it or something like it's it's a crazy thing but yeah eight is the max and i I actually like that aspect of the game too because if you're feeling confident you're like well yeah i'm definitely ahead i'm gonna win this thing so i'm Mm -hmm. gonna try to get max points but then i've been on the other side of that where somebody's done that and i'm like okay i'm gonna take like an extra minute yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to find where like my out is here and then you win and it feels really good from the right. other side. I'm not, and also they got a mechanic where you can, you know, if you're like, yeah, I think they're right. There's no way you can retreat and not lose any of your cubes. Yeah, that's actually really cool, too. So you don't get punished and lose all your progress, because that's the thing. If you lose and you don't retreat, you lose progress forever. The number of of cubes you are fighting over. And then if you win, you obviously win that and you advance that many. So, so I, I like that part of it because 
you're not you're not even punished, right? You, if you don't go to the end of the game on the last yeah. turn, so that's pretty cool. It has enough randomness that you still have to draw out of your deck, which by the way, your deck's only like 12 cards. Yep. So it's very easy to assemble. You don't have to like over like I made a couple of them that have some different little strategies, but it's not like heavy, right? Just like, okay, right. I have a bunch of one drops and I want to fill them up. So like Captain America gives everything around him extra points or whatever, right? So I concentrate on filling up the board or whatever with that particular yep. deck. So like simple stuff, right? You don't have to do anything crazy. I like that part of it. I like the fact that there's a bunch of randomness from the actual zones you fight over themselves. Yeah, so you, you might be winning and don't get the real. Oh, everything out here has negative two power. Wait, I'm not. I was winning. <laughs> now I'm not. Well, just not just that, but like as you learn the zones, you can also gamble on your placement, right? Because the second and the third one aren't revealed till the second and third turn. Yep. So sometimes I put something there going like, let this be the one where nothing else can be played here. Let this be the one that right. nothing else can be played here. <laughs> right? Like you're just like hoping. It's like sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. You know, but. I think that adds an element to it. If you're like, okay, professor X card that locks the location, doesn't let you play anything else here. So yeah, it's, that's a good, so there's a lot of stuff. We're just like, I'm going to just gamble here. Cause I know I'm on slim odds and hope for the best. And sometimes it pays off and it's so rewarding. And other times it's not. And then it's like, okay, do you include characters like, uh, Nightcrawler, we're like, okay, maybe something is locked down, but I could at least move a thing over there. I just can't play a thing there. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a, there's a lot of little stuff that I think as you learn the game, you can be rewarded for finding like little strategic things, which are pretty cool. Yeah, like and, you mentioned, uh, Nightcrawler is also Mr. Fantastic. Where okay, maybe you can't play anything there, Mr. Fantastic, because he can stretch his arms a million miles. When you play Mr. Fantastic, you gain power to the left and the right. Yeah, that's also true. That's another good point, right? So they put enough cards in there to work with all the things. So you don't ever really feel like because the wrong combination of of uh, locations came out that you get locked out of the game. Now, sometimes it can happen. I've had a weird scenario where it's like you had the one where you can't play anything on turn three, four or five there. Yep. You had the other one where like something couldn't be played there for some reason. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, so now I'm like. I don't even want to play anything on turn four because I want to play my five and six drops because it's probably the only way I have to get out of this, you know? So just fun stuff like that. But again, even if you're losing, you retreat, get into the next game. It took you like three or four minutes, right? I'm really surprised. I I looked on the Android store and already had over a million downloads. I think on day four, I think is when I looked and I asked somebody else who has an iPhone, and they said it already had over a million on, on the iOS store as well. I wouldn't doubt it. So they are crushing it. I mean, you're talking about four days in. Now, admittedly, they had some beta downloads or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, to be over, at that point, over 2 million downloads, which probably means they're realistically probably over, like, 5 to 8 million <laughs> at this point. That's pretty damn cool. E- assume Even if each of those people only spent an average, because you know there's whales in every game. Yeah. Well, let's assume they only spent an average of like $4 so far on the game. Like they have made so much money off that in the first week. That's impressive. Yeah. Ben Brode is joining that uh, short class of people, you know, that really has, uh, as, as of yet, never done a bad card game. Or even a card game that has it so far, we can say, hasn't been successful. Yeah, you know, I we have to give people credit. I think there are some minds that you are just built for doing certain things. And 
sounds like he's one of those dudes. Because honestly, I've looked and people have asked me what I thought about it. Because, you know, people want to know your opinion on everything once you're making content. I'm just, hey, have you heard of this? Have you played it? And I'm like, honestly, I don't have much bad to say about it. Like, I have to nitpick. It's actually really solid, y'all. Like, I, like I'm going to be at the airport tomorrow playing some Marvel Snap. Right. Like, just being real. While I'm waiting for my plane, I'm going to be playing some Marvel Snap. Like It's a definition of, you know, easy to learn, but uh, difficult to master. Yeah, I it's it's good. If, if there's anything to complain about, might be... I mean, it's not, again, I'm nitpicking, though. Like, some of the, the challenges you have to build specific decks to do or get certain cards to do them. So you get limited on some of your reward points that way. But yeah. it's not like impossible. It's just like if you just don't have the right cards yet, you don't have the right cards. And then the leveling system can bog down a little bit after you get probably into your like third or fourth day of playing and you get a little light on the uh, whatever we call the the blue gems or whatever in that yeah. game that you need to level. Like that can slow you. But even then, it doesn't hurt you from playing the game. It just means you level slower to get the new cards, you know. And, and again, just, you only have a 12-card deck. So no matter how yeah. awesome cards you have, how many awesome cards you have, <laughs> you're going to run 12 in a deck. Yeah, and that and it's just the free-to-play thing, right? You're going to give them time or you're going to give them money. Yep. Right? That That's the way every free-to-play game is, right? That you either give them time and you're helping populate their game so those people to play against, or you're just giving them money so you can just level up and just get access to the things faster. That's just the way it is. But I will say this, too. Other than a couple of small strategic benefits... It doesn't really feel like somebody being that far ahead of you gives them that big of an advantage. Because, like, I've played against people that I could tell had more time in or had leveled higher than me because they had cards I hadn't seen before. But I still was able to win. It's also cool that they point out, hey, you've never had this card played against you before. So you really stop and go, oh, okay, I've never seen this before. What does this thing do? Yeah, that's true. Even that is a small, like, bonus that it's cool it includes, right? It keeps track of what you have in your collection. So when somebody else plays one, it's like, oh, yeah, you might want to pay attention to what this card does. And that's the first time I've seen that in a game. I mean, right? And we, between the two of us, <laughs> play <laughs> not all the oh, games, a but a whole bunch a of ton. them. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's stuff like that where I'm going like, it's never a thing I thought about, but now that it's been done, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's pretty cool that this is an extra bonus in here. Well, we're going to see. You know, that's going to be a feature that lots of people start using. Yeah, they should. It's going to be like Arkham Asylum's combat where yeah, you had never seen it before. Then all of a sudden, every game tried to do it to yeah, varying they, degrees of success. Another cool thing is because they have those variable uh, locations, they have one per week that shows up more frequently. Yep. I think it's like it shows up, I think, like 25% more than the other ones or something like that. So you have a chance of seeing it like every third or fourth game, a higher percentage. Yeah. So like you were saying, you know, hey, you can gamble like, hey, maybe this is the this is the card that clones all my good cards. You know, let me let me try and <laughs> oh, <laughs> let dude, me gamble and hope this is that. The deck I was playing yesterday kind of maximizes that. So I'm just like, OK, I'm going to make sure I have these two cards in here. So if this shows up. I can put this on that location, right? It's a little bit silly, but hey, you know, like it's worked out a couple of times. So yeah, even that though, is like paying attention to the stuff the game's telling you. Exactly. You can get a bit of an advantage that way. So yeah, I, yeah, I recommend if you want to play it, it's a free to play game. I, 
I will say this. Don't pick it up if you don't have time to play. <laughs> right. You will. Because it's only three minutes. Yeah, one more. Just one oh, more. Dude, match and then... I, I almost one more myself to no sleep last night. Exactly. Like, I mean, I was like laying in bed like, you know what? Let me just play till I get like three more wins. And then those came pretty yeah. quick. And I'm like, ah, I'm like, nah, I got to go to bed. I got to go to bed. Let me level this up. Let me unlock this cup. Yep. It fits my deck. Let me unlock this cup. It, it literally has just enough of the feeder elements to you, right? Because even when you get that feeling of like, man, I haven't got any reward points. I haven't got anything on the, uh, whatever they call like the seasonal tracker or whatever in a while. It's almost like the very next game. You're like, oh, I got a little something. You know, like it's, I don't know if they did that purposely or just worked out, but it feels like there's just enough there. Like as you start feeling like there's too much time between a reward is when you get that next reward. I'm like, man, they, they got this figured out. It's, it's a sharply done game. I'm impressed. It will definitely be in my regular rotation of stuff. I have to admit it's, I'm probably going to like on my trip, I'll probably be playing that. And I just started messing around with the magic spell slingers. And those will probably be the two games I play with my downtime while I'm in Vegas. I was gonna say we have not talked about Spell Slingers, have we? And that came that, that, that's like a stealth release. It kind of just came for oh, yeah. by the way, this is out. It's actually not bad. It's a fun little game. They've I'm been working on it for what, a couple of years and then just kind of <laughs> stealth yeah. dropped it. Did, did a Beyonce, if you will. Pretty much. Yeah, but it's neat as well. I it's another one. So yeah, there you go. If you haven't checked out Marvel Snap, I say you should do it. But all right, we're getting toward the end of the show here. So based on last week's topic, people actually liked our responses and we kind of opened people's eyes to a couple of characters they didn't know about. So what I wanted to ask them, we kind of want to do a follow up this week because we kind of talked about real people, even though they were actors, you know, in different scenarios or whatever. So this week, Brian, I want to ask you, what is your favorite black character in either fantasy or comic books i would say for fantasy none of the characters on game of thrones (laughs) yeah you ain't lying dude or house of the dragon even though they promised us they realized that they that they messed up with game of thrones and we're gonna have more black characters they did add them but it didn't look like they're gonna make season two for the most part i mean that's that's a real thing too man they're just like especially high fantasy there's almost no black characters like we have some black characters in sci-fi, but almost none in in generic high fantasy. And the the ones there are, it's because a black author wrote something. <laughs> you know, That's true. That's true. And it's weird too when people want to shut people out of that. And I'm just like, do you just not want your genre to grow or make more money? Like, just put a couple of black people in it, so more black people want to cosplay them or whatever, and show up to your like medieval fair or whatever it is. Like, seems like easy money, you know, but. You know, people don't. Some people would literally, their prejudice (laughs) overrides money. That's true. Very true. Which is funny because I had some, we'll call them prejudice, probably racist folks come through a couple of times to shop, and I enjoyed taking their money the most. (laughs) Great. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, I'll take their money all day, every day. You might not be able to afford your hood after this to give me that money. Yep, (laughs) exactly. I'll say it with a smile, and I'll take it every time. So, yeah. So, excluding fantasy, obviously, there's not a lot of options. What about comics and other related stuff? I would say one, you know, that kind of, um, he, he's, 
it's kind of a, of a different era because growing up, my favorite character in everything was Green Lantern, but it was Hal Jordan Green Lantern. The not even the original, but the one oh, that yeah, I yeah. grew up, you know. Yeah. But then, you know, John Stewart, because he was in Justice League, uh, Justice League Unlimited, became he became the Green Lantern for basically an entire generation because that's the Green Lantern they grew up with. That's interesting too. So you know, that, I, that was so cool to me. I've thought about that before with that character of would he have been as popular if they didn't select Green Lantern to be the effectively the token character in Justice League or Teen Titans or something? I suspect not because you got to think about how many people are never going to read a comic book. But they'll happily watch uh, the majority of people. My wife is, is not going to read a comic book for the most part. But when Black Panther comes out, she's going to be in front row. Yeah. And yeah, she, sees no, <laughs> she sees nothing unusual about that. And a lot of people don't. You know, though, I to credit to Marvel, you know, the one thing I will tell people, and I tell people all the time, that, that DC gets totally wrong is making all of their shows independent. And the reason I say that is I also have a relative. My mother does, like, nothing to do with comic books. You know, she knows that I read them when I was younger. I'm into them, whatever. But she's literally called me up and been like, hey, I was I was watching Doctor Strange and they mentioned this thing. Was that like the same thing from Spider-Man? Because I feel like that, you know, like she's connecting the dots and feels more invested. Right. You know, and she's feeling rewarded as a viewer because she's like, oh, wait, I saw this thing on this poster. I think they were talking about this thing from this other movie. You know, and then she goes and watches it and gets like the rest of the story or whatever. But, but if you tell her there's a book about this, ah, it's too much. I'm out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not reading any comic books. That's what I get. But I'm saying even just from the movie standpoint, DC having everything so disjointed is just missing an opportunity. You know, because linking all your products shows that there's a benefit, which is funny because yeah, well, even- it's, you know, there's there's pros and cons because sure, you know, sure. obviously you'd like to be connected. But there, I think it was. Iron Man uh, 2, I believe it was, when they introduced Black Widow. It wasn't even an Iron Man movie. It was more of a, hey, here, here's some Avengers you need to get to know for the next movie that's coming out. Yeah, but, I mean, they did a lot of setup for Avengers, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, though, because it's just like you point out with Jon Stewart, they kind of did it there, right? We're like, well, we're going to have this token character. Let's go ahead and make this the centerpiece of this thing, and let's let's make the comics around this now and make him the main thing. So it's not weird when people go to read green lantern. Right. So at some point, even they saw the benefits to it. And then for some reason, just got away from it. Well, it sounds like he may end up uh, becoming the star of this green lantern show that it's admittedly it's an HBO max project. So there's probably a 50% chance it never happens. But right now they're talking about possibly having John Stewart be one of the focal characters. If they ever, finish this green letter tv show Hell, the question is though for me is is it gonna feel like john stewart or are we just gonna like i don't know try to adultify it or whatever like they did with the teen titans because that just felt weird to me looking at the teen titans and having like it's like dark gritty without yeah, language or whatever and i'm just really like is. we we again it's like you turn something into batman for no reason yeah right like it's already a successful property people already like these characters but you're like, you know what would make it better? If we made it dark. Like, not really, though. That's not I why mean, we watch those characters. 
They, they, you know, DC slash Warner Bros. Discovery has been, you know, <laughs> the Snyderverse has been bad about that. Yeah. And it makes tough. Superman too dark. I don't know how you make Superman dark and grim and gritty, but dang, if they didn't do it. Dude, they made <laughs> Superman just the most whiny, emo, like, what's even going on? Like, did you ever see online where the person took the, I think it was the the first Superman movie in their series uh, under the whole new stuff, and they changed the color settings on everything and made no, it look like normal not. Superman, and it feels like a different movie. Wow. When you add color to it and you can actually see the reds and the blues and everything else, like just even, you know, dialogue and everything was still the same. Yeah. But even that made it feel like a different movie. And I'm like, how do they not see this? Yes, <laughs> on my chest. This stands for hope. Are you sure? Yeah, exactly. Like you seem like you don't have any hope yourself, dog. Like you just snapped General Zod's neck, my dude. Not just that. Like the cops show up and want to arrest Superman. And I'm like, Really? Y'all know he could just throw the car, right? Like, what are we even doing? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, we're, we're turning Superman into Batman. It's basically what we're doing because yeah. Batman makes him so much money. We'll we'll chase him because he can take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what like. But no, I'm with you. I think I think John Stewart is a good pick. I, yeah, I think really. that was also like a intro to justice league or intro to dc for a lot of people who may not have actually read or watched it which is kind of neat uh for me the one that stood out and this is probably when i was well hold on i'm gonna pick this up i was 15 maybe 15 or 16 when Stormwatch came out it was an image book at the time right around uh when a lot of the marvel the big marvel artists had split and we're starting the image license. So it was like uh, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, uh, Todd McFarlane, that whole group of people. I think Eric Larson was one of them. And this particular book, it was actually created by Jim Lee, but the whole premise is it's kind of like a sci-fi organization that helps kind of keep things in check, you know? And it was led by a character named Jackson King, who otherwise went by Battalion, was his name. And I don't even know why, at first, why it really stood out to me. But it's kind of, when people talk about, like, representation mattering or whatever, those are the type of things that stand out, because I wasn't even actively thinking about, oh, man, they finally made a character that's black that leads a real team in space or whatever. Because this was actually like before we got all the like Voyager and whatever, where yeah. they started introducing these different captains. This was more of just like, okay, this is interesting and relatable and whatever. And then as time went on, I kind of started piecing together why I liked it. But even beyond that, he also ended up being the leader of a group that, you know, I've mentioned on the show before, it had the first gay characters I've seen in a series. You know, it touched on that. It talked about his background, about... You know, even when he went back as being this like high ranking leader and stuff like people still treated him badly, you know, so there was a bunch of relatable stuff in that. And, you know, he had a family that had some issues. I think his his younger brother, I think, eventually ends up getting into the program or something. And just a lot of the ways it handled stories that really outside of maybe X-Men weren't really addressed in a lot of the books that I'd read. So. I got attached to that book series and that character and, you know, it went on and became a couple other things and ran for several years. 
but overall, like just a really cool book, cool character. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend checking it out. Uh, it even went through a stretch where some of it was written by Warren Ellis, who is okay. a huge comic writer. So, I mean, if you like Warren Ellis stuff, you'll you'll have a big chunk of the series that's written by him. And then they have some sub books uh, where it became, I can't remember the, the second name. They had another thing that it kind of turned into once it went to trade paperbacks and stuff. But yeah, overall, just a really cool series, cool character. Uh, if you don't know about it, totally worth checking out. And some fun and different and interesting characters that appear in that series over the years that you don't really get in a lot of other books, which was actually, I think, the real appeal for me of the, the series overall. But yeah, so Battalion, Jackson King, that is that is my pick. All right. But yeah, I think that wraps us up for this week. We gave people some knowledge. Why don't you tell them where they can find you over on socials, Brian? I am Brian Sonic on uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. You can uh, also read my stuff over at TiltMagazine.com. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. If you happen to be at Magic 30 this weekend in Vegas, come say hello. I'll be around probably wearing a Power Dragon shirt. Maybe not. If you want to go out, grab a bike, grab a drink, whatever, let me know. Just come say hi and let me know you appreciate the show because we appreciate you. As always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourself. Get your vaccinations. Watch out for all the poxes and everything else that's out in the world. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate. Other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 